Listener supported. WNYC Studios. It's the Brian Lehrer Show on WNYC. Good morning, everyone. You know, one thing we haven't mentioned yet here this week is John Stewart's return to The Daily Show nine years after he left his position there as host in 2015. He has signed back on to host on Monday nights, if you haven't heard this yet, through the November election, Monday nights through the November election, and this week was the first one. Now, I think it's fair to say that The Daily Show exists largely to get laughs at the expense of the right and make satirical or political points for the audience by doing so. And they certainly did that this week, showing clips of Donald Trump having apparently more serious memory lapses than Joe Biden has, for example, even though Biden seems to get covered a lot more by the press for his. But then Stewart's ultimate point in his 20-minute monologue, at least to me, seemed to be that we should talk more about both candidates' ages and mental acuity, not less And yes, that includes Biden and the Democrats. So here's an example. Stewart played a montage of leading Democrats saying there's nothing to see here when it comes to Biden's age and abilities, ending with a clip of Vice President Harris, which we will hear now, followed by Jon Stewart's commentary about it. I was in almost every meeting with the president and the president was in front of and on top of it all, coordinating and directing leaders who are in charge of America's national security, not to mention our allies around the globe. Did anyone film that? (laughs) Because if you're... If you're telling us behind the scenes he is sharp and full of energy and on top of it and really in control and leading, you should film that. (laughs) That would be good to show to people. And if that part was good for a laugh at the party circling the wagons, Stewart ended that section not with a joke, but with a serious editorial line about taking this issue seriously. We're not suggesting neither man is vibrant, productive, or even capable. But they're both stretching the limits of being able to handle the toughest job in the world. What's crazy is thinking that we are the ones, as voters, who must silence concerns and criticisms. It is the candidate's job to assuage concerns, not the voter's job not to mention them. John Stewart from his return to The Daily Show on Monday night. Now, you might agree with that conclusion or consider it ageist or, as one person has already texted, today's show really helps suppress Democratic votes, helps Trump. Appalling that you would blindly play into this. So many people are going to have that reaction. Uh, and we're going to open up the phones on the issue in a minute. But Stewart's monologue came, of course, just after special counsel Robert Hurd described Biden as memory challenged in his report on Biden and classified documents and Biden's fiery press conference in response. And just as The Atlantic was publishing an article called Democrats should pick a new presidential candidate 
now. It begins by saying the Democrats need to wake up and stop sleepwalking toward disaster, as the article puts it, disaster being defined as reelecting Trump. So with us now is the writer of that article, political scientist Damon Linker, lecturer at the University of Pennsylvania. He also writes a Substack newsletter called Notes from the Middle Ground. He's a senior fellow in the Open Society Project at the Niskanen Center in Washington and is a weekly participant on the Beg to Differ podcast at The Bulwark. So, okay, John Stewart, let's have this conversation. Professor Linker, thank you for joining us. Welcome to WNYC. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. To make this, to make one thing very clear right off the bat, you describe Trump in your article as a sociopathic menace. So that's your prime directive here, right? How best to prevent another Trump election? Would that be correct? Yes, absolutely correct. And your judgment is that Biden is not the best Democratic presidential candidate to defeat Trump even though no other serious contender has primaried Biden to make that case. So why do you think the Dems are sleepwalking to disaster, as the subhead of your article puts it? Well, I I really worry that the Democratic Party, and by that I mean the kind of institutional party leading Democratic office holders, and then a lot of kind of rank-and-filed uh, rank Democratic voters who are very informed, spend a lot of time you know, reading Atlantic articles about subjects like this, all sort of combine two contradictory positions. They they are, on the one hand, very risk averse. They look out at the stakes in this election, which, is, as you indicated, I think are, uh, incre- are enormous. And they look at that and they say, we, we have an incumbent president that brings advantages he won in 2020, already defeated Trump once. We just have to put our heads down and just push this ahead and make sure he wins. If we shake uh, shake the situation, rock the boat, then we're, we're doomed. So this is a kind of risk aversion that we, we need to stop talking about this, as you indicated, some listeners are already indicating to you. On the other hand, they're very confident that there's no way Trump could possibly win. I mean, he already, you know, he he lost uh, the popular vote in 2016 by nearly 3 million. He was actually defeated in 2020. The Republicans underperformed in the 2018 midterms and the 2022 midterms. All these special elections that are happening, Democrats are overperforming. So basically, like, of course, Biden's going to win. Of course, Trump's a loser. So, you know, why are you raising this problem with Biden? The problem, as I indicate in the piece, is this isn't me. This isn't my little piece in the Atlantic here in mid-February. For months, polls have shown that something on the order of around three quarters of Americans think Biden is too old and too frail for his job as president and are very skittish about the idea of giving him five more years in that job. And uh, the person who would take over if he became incapacitated or died, uh, Kamala Harris, is about equally unpopular in approval to Biden. So that strikes me as a pretty risky, so we're talking about risk aversion, that's the real risk, is that this is the best we can do. This is 
the person we're going to run against the sociopath this would be authoritarian who wants to return to the Oval Office with a much more ambitious agenda than last time. That seems foolish. So here it is. We're, we're, we are nearing the point where this is going to be far too late. Good. So it struck me as the last possible reasonable moment to raise this issue. Are you sure, Democrats, that this is the best we can do? And the result is a big get- debate. Yeah, and I wanted to get a little further into your thesis before I gave out the phone number, but this is one of those where people who know the phone number are already calling in uh, and jamming most of the line. So let me make sure everybody has it. Um, one, three questions, I think. Three, three threads here. One, is this talk about Biden's age and memory an actual concern for you, listeners, in terms of his ability to do the job as president? Two, should the Democrats seriously consider replacing Biden as the nominee, as Damon Lenkler suggests? And three, if so, with whom? 212-433-WNYC, 212-433-9692. And I guess we could add, did you watch Jon Stewart's return to The Daily Show? And what did you think, including about this aspect of his monologue, or anything else you want to say on this topic or ask our guest, Damon Linker, senior lecturer in political science at the University of Pennsylvania and author of the Atlantic Magazine article called Democrats Should Pick a New Presidential Candidate Now, 212-433. Up, oh, all our lines are full. I don't have to give out the rest of the phone number, but I will anyway, because, of course, you can also text us your comments and questions, and we'll use texts which don't fill up, as well as the phone lines which do, 212 212- 433 WNYC. So, Damon, here's, I think, a central question. Do you really believe Biden isn't up to the job, or are you doing what media pundits sometimes do and basing your judgment on what you think that other people think? Because it's one thing to say he walks and talks older than he used to, but many defenders, and we already have some of those on the board who didn't wait for me to give out the phone number, will say, look at the substance of his presidency. Agree or disagree on the issues, agree or disagree on the climate bill and the prescription drug prices bill and job growth and student debt and taking a strong position on Israel, whether people agree with it or not. Your argument does not seem to be on policy or the actual vigor of his actions as president. So again, do you really believe Biden isn't up to the job, or are you doing what media pundits sometimes do and basing your judgment on what you think other people think? Well, the honest answer is it's a mix. Um, The main thrust of the piece is focused on polling data, but I think that the polling data is based on something real, and I do share some of those concerns. Now, it's not that I think Biden is like sitting in the Oval Office drooling and unable to form coherent thoughts. That's absurd, first of all, because the the Biden's policy on Israel and the Palestinians, which is actually quite unpopular with uh, many on the left wing of the Democratic Party, is very much a Biden thing. This isn't something that his staff would have necessarily come up with on their own if he weren't in the room and leading the discussion and pointing the direction that he wanted the team to go. So he's clearly engaged in policymaking. And frankly, he has a very good, competent team. I even joke in the piece 
for the Atlantic that I want Trump to lose so much, I would vote for a potted plant if that's who the Democrats ran. So it's not a question for me personally of whether I'm tempted to vote for somebody else. I'm not. And the, the reason why I say the joke about the potted plant is that a lot of the presidency is the people around the president as much as the president, because those people are the ones who then go out and actually make things happen. And on that front, the Biden administration, I think, has done quite well. The problem is that the presidency is also an, an office that has other dimensions that have to do with public speaking, the bully pulpit giving speeches, remarking to the press about policy items and making a compelling case for going this way rather than that. And in those aspects, I think Biden has been weak. He has been sort of kept out of the public eye. His team tends to kind of keep him away from the press, I think, for fear that he's going to misspeak or sound confused or make a mistake. And so, you know, maybe they are making a mistake in that themselves and they should let him come out and he would do great. I, I think it, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle that they're they're justified in being concerned. And this this matters simply because he's the guy for the next nine months running against Donald Trump who has to actually stand up there and sound like he is a clearly perf preferable option to Trump. Um, now, the last thing I'd add to that is simply that um, it's not a case of comparing him to Trump. I mean, Trump is so far out, in my view, on the extremes of incompetence, both cognitively and morally and kind of dispositionally, his fitness for the job of president, completely unfit. So, again, between those two people, I don't care what condition Biden is in, I'm going to vote for Biden. The problem is is also not Democrats like me who who, you know, actually like what Biden has done. The problem is those middle voters, the independents who swung, many of them from voting for Trump in 2016 to voting for Biden and helped giving him that huge lift that, that allowed him to prevail over Trump in 2020. What are those people going to do? And those are the people he's largely lost. That, I mean, Biden's approval among Democrats is around 80%, which is, Good, not as high as it might be, but it's solid and strong. And But among independents, he has cratered. And those are the people he has to win back to win in November. And I worry they listen to him and just say, you know, that guy's not up to it. I don't buy it. I think they're hiding something and they think he's incompetent, whatever. I think that a lot of that is overdrawn and not necessarily true. But the fact that he's in that situation is a bad sign that he is failing at an aspect of the presidency in reality. Because again, it is also a public facing position that involves public communication. Now, I will say that we are getting so many texts, maybe more texts than we've ever gotten <laughs> uh, <laughs> since we started using text messages instead of Twitter uh, as our comment section a few months ago uh, on any other segment. So I'm gonna sample from some of those as they just fly by me on the screen and then uh, flash off again. And a quick look at the text and at the calls um, tells me that people are very much on both sides of this issue. We're getting a lot of calls in support of your thesis, 
Damon, and we're getting a lot of calls and texts opposed. So let's hear from some people. Nathan in Great Neck called first. He was on line one right from the beginning of the segment. Nathan, you get the first caller word. Hi. Yeah, hi. Uh, I agree with everything Mr. Linker said. Um, I wish he had more company. Uh, I'm concerned that uh, there should be a hundred people uh, out there, opinion writers, saying exactly what Mr. Linker said. Uh, I'm tired of the gaslighting by Democrats saying there's nothing to see here. Biden is fine. He's not fine. Um, he's losing it. And I applaud John Stewart. I applaud Robert Hur. They're truth tellers. Uh, Biden has less charisma than a glass of warm milk to pick up on Mr. Linker's comment about uh, communication skills. Joe Biden is a horrible communicator. And I, I'd hope you follow up this segment with a gerontologist and an actuary to give us the statistical probabilities of Biden and Trump living the next four years or being diagnosed with dementia. Nathan, let me ask you one follow-up question. Do you have a replacement candidate in mind? Uh, Gretchen Whitmer would be a, a plausible candidate. J.B. Pritzker, uh, Chris Murphy from Connecticut. Uh, I think there are lots, and I'm tired of the gaslighting. And um, I, as I said, congratulations to Mr. Linker, and I hope he has lots of company in the weeks ahead from other pundits because we've got to get Biden out of this race. Thank We're you very much. I appreciate your call. Uh, Damon Linker, by the way, does name some names, including a couple that Nathan just mentioned um, as possible Democratic presidential nominees. We'll get to that from his point of view as we go. But another point of view first from Ian in Rockville, Maryland. You're on WNYC. Hi, Ian. Thanks for calling in. Hey, Brian. Thanks a lot for putting me on. Uh, I've got two quick things to say. First, um, I'm so happy that John Stewart is back. I watched the show. It was fantastic. It was hilarious. Uh, I think John Stewart has a lot to answer for. Uh, I firmly placed the uh, 2016 Trump election on his shoulders for abandoning us uh, during the uh, the Whoa. campaign. That's tongue in cheek, of course. That's tongue in cheek, of course. Yes. But, uh, yeah, so my, my real question for your guest is, is, is who, and I, I understand that he's got some lists, but I also wanted to ask about, you know, historically, has there ever been a, a party that primaried their own incumbent president and then went on to win? That's kind of my point. Also, you know, we did all this already. There was an open casting call. Everybody that wanted to run said no, because they know they're not going to do better than the incumbent. That's my point. Thank you. I'll take Ian, it off thank you. Call us again from Maryland. Uh, what do you say to either of his questions, Damon? Well, I'll just talk about the first one. Was that was that just about like alternative candidates to Biden? Are we going to circle back to that later? Or do you want me to address that now? Like put some names out there? Yeah, you could do that. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, the people uh, I've heard mentioned uh, are, are good. I mean, my list in the piece is a series of Democratic governors. Gretchen Whitmer at the top of that list, uh, Josh Shapiro in my own Pennsylvania, uh, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, uh, Jared Polis of uh, uh, Colorado, J.B. Uh, Pritzker in Illinois, and then also Georgia Senator Raphael Warnock. I think a, a Whitmer-Warnock ticket would be a strong one. I have talked to you know some people who 
who worry about uh, going up against Trump with a woman, and I am not endorsing that as a statement of sexism or misogyny, simply like brutal realism, perhaps, about the way American politics gets played out. And so in that case, maybe like a Newsom would be good. I think personally, he's very charismatic and articulate and would be great in a one-on-one against Trump. I also do worry, though, that, um, you know, conservatives consider uh, California to be a, a kind of abject case and everything terrible that will happen to the country if uh, Democrats have power, and I worry yeah. about the uh, campaign Pol- Pol- kind of Pol- devolving they, into that. They consider it Pelosi stan, as John Stewart put it in one of his lines this week. Uh, right, at least right. referring to San Francisco, but probably gets generalized to all of California. Well, to the caller's other history question: Has there ever been a party in which the incumbent president was successfully primaried? and then won the election. Well, not a, no, not exactly. And But what I'm advocating isn't even that. It's actually wilder than that because it's too late for there to be a proper primary. The primaries are already queued up. Biden's already won a few. The rest of them, no one's registered as candidates. So so what I'm describing is, is a kind of crazy scenario, I will admit it, in which... Biden decides sometime in the next couple of months that he will bow out and then basically queues up an open convention in August. And the intervening months, Biden announces that all of the committed delegates to him from the primaries that have been held are are free to throw their support behind any possible candidate. And we basically have several months where a number of candidates jump into a race that consists not in getting votes in primary contests, but in trying to persuade delegates to support them. And then we would end up, this would be messy. It would be quite dramatic and probably have the highest ratings of any convention you've ever seen, where there would be vote after vote while different people politic in the convention center and try to get a consensus. And eventually a consensus would be reached And we would emerge in August with a totally new, somewhat surprising candidate. And then that person would have the following, you know, two to three months to make the pitch. And I do not think this would be suicidal. It would be risky. I admit that. But I also think, as I've argued, that sticking with Biden is also risky. And a bold move like that actually could shake things up in unpredictable ways that could play very positively to the party as well. Some listeners in text messages are proposing other potential nominees. Andy Bashir, governor of Kentucky. Someone writes Pete Buttigieg. Listener yep, writes, they're both good. Yeah. As a Democrat who admires Biden's legislative successes, I cannot watch him speak for fear he will mess up. And he is so boring. A big dilemma, writes another listener. Um, but here's, I think, the most explicit version of the argument on the other side from Adam in Queens. Adam, you're on WNYC. Hello. How are you doing, Brian? Great to speak with you again. Um, I am a millennial, so I just want to throw that out there for demographic purposes. The thing that frustrates me about this argument so much is that, and how we as Democrats shoot ourselves in the foot over and over and over again, is that your guest just went off to say what a good job President Biden has done He's got good people around him, all positive things. 
and we should replace him. I agree Kamala Harris is probably more of a liability than anything else. After four, almost four years, I still don't really know anything about her as VP. There are other people that I would love to see on the ticket that I think would be absolutely great at the job. But he's doing a good job. And I don't think any, anyone, like, these elections are all about groupthink, right? And especially with Democratic, I'm sorry, with independent voters. They swing because of, like, what they hear around them. And all we're doing in the media is talking about how old President Biden is, how he, how he won't be able to handle being president again. And if we just stopped saying that, no one would be thinking it. If we just, if our messaging and narrative, if Democrats took the narrative back and said, no, he's doing a great job, let's talk about all his accomplishments, he can handle this. We're, we're like, and we're, we're getting Congress back, you know, the election two days ago. Um, you know, if we, if we change the narrative, no one would be thinking that he was too old. But instead, all we're talking about is how old the president is and how he's not able, he's not up to the job. And, and that's what people are hearing and that's what they're going to think. And it's just completely the opposite of what we should be doing right now when we're less than a year out. I just Adam. think, would, would I love a different scenario? Yes. But here we are. And we need to make the, the most of it. Adam, thank you very much. And I'm going to back that one up before I get you to respond, Damon, with a text message that says, I am a county committee chair in Pennsylvania. The ship has sailed on candidates. We just closed out petition signing period. So at this point, candidates would need to be written in on the April 23rd primary ballot. Uh, but to the larger point, and, and we'll talk more about process as we go, um, to the larger point, this county committee chair in Pennsylvania says, to say that Democrats blithely think Trump can't win is not supported by any evidence with which I am familiar. People are terrified that Trump will win. And this person adds, Biden has done an amazing job and got through legislation like no Dem in recent history. So go ahead and talk back to both those listeners. Yeah. Um, to the to the first one, the caller, uh, I mean, my view is very different. I think that Democrats ha have a tendency to vastly overstate the extent to which public opinion is shaped by what the media is talking about. Now, of course, it's not purely unidirectional from the other way. I mean, obviously, if the media talks about one thing incessantly, it will shift public opinion somewhat. But on this case, and in uh, actually a lot of others having to do with, you know, Trump and his viability, I think the media gets blamed a lot too much. As I said at the top of the program, Biden is in polls stated that he, that 76% that of Americans, and in some recent polls, it's sometimes higher, above 80% of Americans think he's too old for the job. Is that just because the media has been talking about him being too old? Or is it that people listen to him and think, wow, he's too old, and then the media notices that and talks about it? I mean, I just don't buy that people are a bunch of ill-informed automatons who, who think, Otherwise, would be like, wow, listen to how great Biden is. Oh, but the media is telling me he's too old. Therefore, he is. I just don't think that that jibes with the way the way it works. Um, and so, you know, for instance, we were having this conversation because myself and a bunch of other people, not not a ton, but there have been other pundits this week who have made similar arguments uh, about um, the need to maybe look for someone other than Biden. 
Is it possible that, say, that the NBC poll that turned up the 76% number a week or so ago, if they rerun it in a week, will it be maybe 80 because of this conversation we're having now? Yeah, maybe, but that would be a four-point jump. How did we get to 76 in the first place? That's not, again, because the media decided we're going to get a lot of clicks by calling Biden old. It's because... I think people have been listening to him and he does sound too old. Um, So that doesn't solve the problem to just say, let's change the conversation. As I say, one brief thing in the piece, I make the point that, you know, this this to me runs the risk of having the opposite effect of Americans who are convinced he's too old. If Democrats keep insisting it isn't true, instead of being changed they might just decide the democrats are selling me a line of bs i can see that he's this way i can hear that he's this way don't tell me that uh you know that i should believe you uh the democratic party over my lying eyes and ears yeah but john stewart in his monologue that we sampled from at the top even though he was on your side of the importance of talking about this issue also made the point through his satire and through the clips that he played that Trump's mental acuity is demonstrably worse. And so if Democrats were pointing that out and not just letting it be about Joe Biden's mental acuity, you know as a political scientist that it's very common for incumbent presidents to have low approval ratings at this point in their first term because the country always has problems, but then they often get reelected when the actual election comes around because then it's a choice between this candidate or that candidate, not just an abstract approval rating. Well, let me let me try to push back on that point because I think it's an important one, and uh, it's an important one for, for listeners and Democrats to understand. Biden's approval rating ever since the withdrawal from Afghanistan is when he first went underwater, meaning there were more disapproving people than approving people. Ever since then, in the late summer of 2021, Biden has been sinking in approval. He is now very solidly under 40%. He's been bouncing around between 38 and 39% approval. That is five points behind where Trump was four years ago. And of course he lost. That is 10 points behind where Barack Obama was as he was heading into reelection. That's 13 points behind where George W. Bush was in February, 2004. It is 10 points behind where Bill Clinton was in February of 1996. And it's six points behind where George H.W. Bush, who of course went on to lose, where he was in February of 1992. So it it is true that being president is bruising. It's also true we live in a time of negative partisanship where, where you come in with a little honeymoon and then a lot of people turn against you. Obama dealt with this in a mild way. Trump had very low approval ratings throughout his presidency. But again, Biden is lower than Trump was at this point. That is a weak candidate. It just is. And it's not just because the media is saying mean things or paying insufficient attention to Trump. We lived through Trump. We saw him. We heard him. Everything he says is a constant reminder of how terrible it was. And yet, right now, if you do a head-to-head poll, Trump is slightly ahead 
of Joe Biden. If the election were held tomorrow, Trump would probably win. That is the reality. So I, you might you know, want to kill the messenger. I, I understand sometimes I feel that way when I hear someone say something I don't like. But I am merely reporting the facts and not trying to blackball Biden. I am simply saying this is what people tell pollsters their opinions are. And they're the people who are going to make this decision in November. And we have to be aware. We're almost out of time. Um, I do want to get a little more into process. You you talked a little bit about it uh, Here's an example of a pushback text on that. The listener writes, this open convention is such a phantasmagorically ridiculous idea. I really cannot believe you're even discussing it. So play it out for us. How would that actually work since it is too late to get on the primary ballots just about anywhere at this point for another candidate, even if Biden were to voluntarily drop out? Well, the way that a person becomes a party's nominee, not the presumptive nominee, which as that adjective indicates is, is you're assuming that person. So like if the, if the primaries go on, there's going to come a time sometime this spring where Biden will have won enough delegates in primary contests that he has sufficient delegates to be nominated to be the nominee of the Democratic Party at the convention. But it is only at the convention when those delegates vote that he officially becomes the nominee. So if he declares, as Lyndon Johnson did in 1968, and I will say parenthetically, a lot of people are going to go, oh, my gosh, how can you treat that as a parallel Johnson? You know, the Democrats lost that year. And that is true. To Nixon. But it was, yeah, but barely. <laughs> you had Nixon and George Wallace running and Nixon barely won in that despite uh, you know, urban riots and and uh, the, the Democratic coalition breaking apart with Wallace running as a segregationist uh, with the southern part of the party uh, separated from the Democrats and then also Vietnam going on at its peak. The Tet Offensive and so forth that year and, and body bags coming back all the time. And even in that very messy primary and convention where there was violence in the streets broadcast throughout the country. Nixon barely won. So I don't think, you know, again, no one wants to replay 1968, but even in that kind of cautionary tale, it was pretty close. So anyway, I think it, when it comes to what might happen uh, or would happen in August, if this played out the way I, I advocate, Instead of this being a formality, which is what leads people to tune out of the conventions, because everybody knows, yeah, Biden's going to be the nominee, Trump's going to be the nominee, they won all these delegates. Instead, you actually have a vote where you have people who put their names on a list and they have essentially an election in the arena by the delegates. And the first vote, you're going to have a kind of chaos. You're going to have like 12 names on there and nobody is going to be the clear plurality winner. And then you take a pause and there's politicking in the arena and deals are made, coalitions are formed, and then you do another vote. Right. And then hopefully you have some coalescence around a leader, but it might take several rounds until that coalescence begins. And eventually 
maybe all night long this is happening, all the way through to the next morning, where the whole country is watching in rapt attention, eventually the party decides by consensus right. that and, this person is going to be our nominee. And that's very late in the game. That convention is in late August. It would be, in your scenario, like August 22nd or something like that before the Democrats have a candidate to run against, presumably Trump, at that point. But last question, uh, and I will say one more time, our listeners, our Democratic Party supporting listeners are so divided on this. So many people writing in that this is a terrible thing to even be discussing um, and that it helps Trump, even though your point is exactly this is the way we have to fight Trump. And so many people are also writing in in support of you and saying some version of, thank goodness we're talking about this openly. Um, we need to do this, like John Stewart said at the beginning of that monologue. But last, last question, and this is uh, another thread of the pushbacks to you on, uh, on, on, in text messages. And there are many versions of this question. Uh, I will give you the, uh, the local New York very timely version, which says, Damon should talk to Tom Swazi about the polls, meaning you're citing polls as one of your main reasons to worry that Biden can't beat Trump. But look how wrong the polls were in saying that that swazi mazi Pillip race was going to be very close and then he won easily. Yeah. No, that's that's a totally valid response. I do have my, my own response to it, which is that these special elections that Democrats have done very well, and there have been a whole series of them in, in the Biden administration where the Democrat where the Democrat ends up not only winning in a contested race, but actually over uh, overperforms based right. on the polls. Um, I think this but is the polls have been wrong so often that they, yes, a lot of people the, aren't just pointing to Swazi. They're saying, really, you're just going to put your faith in the polls and make this drastic change based on that. So just address right. uh, inaccurate polling they, generally. And then we have like 20 yeah. seconds, Damon, and then we're out of time. Okay, well, it's not that polls in general are inaccurate. It's that it's hard to guess who will actually show up to vote. And the fact is that the Democratic Party has become increasingly educated voters, people who are highly engaged by politics in a way that in off-year elections and in special elections, Republicans are not. So when you have a special election like this, Democrats are showing up in huge numbers. The problem is that in a presidential election, that is likely not going to be the case. Now, you probably will have huge Democratic turnout, but you will also have huge Republican turnout in a way that you are not getting in these small off-year elections where Republicans sort of don't care very much. Trump, though he hasn't done great in you know, he hasn't done great in a lot of elections compared to the Democrat, despite winning in 2016. He does motivate Republicans to show up and vote. And he's never been better in the polls than he is right now, as hard to believe as that might be. And so it's all a question of turnout and who actually shows up. Uh, and that's that's what explains uh, things like the special election this week. All right. Listeners, agree or disagree? Damon Linker is a political science lecturer at the University of Pennsylvania, 
and author now of the article in The Atlantic called Democrats Should Pick a New Presidential Candidate Now. Thanks so much for joining us and arguing it out. Thanks so much for having me. Anytime.